I hope you are as inspired as I am. We had our first episode with Eddie Badrina, CEO of Eden Green. I hope if you haven't watched it, you go back and get the first half. And then now we're jumping into the second half of the innovative way that we can solve societal macro issues that impact the globe. I hope that this inspires you to recognize you have a seat at the table to help positively influence culture. I hope you enjoy and stay tuned to the end. So how did you just emotionally kind of in that patient season, how did you kind of day to day stay alive to dreaming and alive Mm -hmm. to hope and vision while still being faithful in the current season? Yeah, that's a great question. I guess there were uh, over a period of time, I was able to process with, with friends and family what was really driving me. Mm-hmm. And so coming out of that first company, and I still owned it, but I was just running it. And it was, like you said, like I was just in a stagnant season mm-hmm. of life. Three, three things came to mind. One is I really wanted to run a hardware software company, mm-hmm. some, some, some form of hardware or software, maybe both. Two is I wanted to have an exponential impact on my, uh, for my level of effort. So for every one unit of effort that I put out, I wanted to see a 10 to 20 X return in culture and community around me. Uh, and then the third thing is I wanted to run what's called a redemptive organization mm-hmm. and a redemptive organization is where leaders eat last. They're totally sacrificial mm-hmm. by nature. Uh, it's where employees are not just treated fairly, they're treated generously. Yeah. Uh, and it's where uh, community and uh, culture is not just advanced because this company exists, it's actually renewed and redeemed and restored, right? So that's a that's a redemptive framework uh, that th- there's some folks up in New York City called Praxis Labs uh, that espouse this redemptive framework. So I wanted to run a redemptive organization. So those three things I had in my mind. Um, so I, I had to take those three kind of concepts and do a couple of things. The first is uh, I had to clarify and be very concise and articulate about what those three things were, right? So that I can communicate it to folks like you, but more importantly, I had to be able to communicate it to myself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and and there are there are, that takes a lot of work. So you ask like, hey, what's the day-to-day? A lot of the day-to-day, you know, was like, how can I articulate this and make this more concise and more um, uh, just uh, particular uh, and accurate? Uh, because that will really inform those focused goals and dreams will really inform whether or not I'm able to reach them, right? It, they, they determine the success. If you, don't, if, you, if you don't really know what you're looking for, you're never going to get there, yeah. right? So one, being able to, to clearly and concisely articulate those to myself and to others. So let's the pause. Sec- so let's, yes. how do we do that, right? Like, so it yeah. sounds like you're talking to people, you have kind of a think tank organically in your life of people you trust. Yep. Um, are you writing it? Are you, how are you flushing that out? Did you get a coach or what did that look like practically? So I actually had a coach, uh, actually had a, it's, uh, it's a guy named Nick Kennedy uh, here in town and Nick runs a leadership group. It's a it's a cohort of ten other CEOs and high capacity execs, uh-huh. both on the for profit and nonprofit side. And all they're doing for a year at a time is meeting once a month, going through some curriculum, but then also just bouncing ideas off of each other, uh, going through and talking about, hey, here's what's on my mind. 
here's what I'm thinking about, here are the problems that I'm facing. Can you just speak into it? Like mm -hmm. I, I need advice or I need uh, just uh, consolation or I need um, encouragement or I need like some critiquing, right? So uh, I think that's a that was a big part of it is processing all of these sort of ideas in my head mm -hmm. and then putting it to friends and family. And so that was the second piece. One, to articulate and concisely articulate and uh, communicate it. But two, the second was to run those ideas that I was articulating and honing down through a filter of friends and family so that I wasn't doing it out of uh, what the Bible says is selfish ambition and vain conceit, yeah. but I was doing it from a healthy place, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third piece that I had to do is I had to let it all go. Mm -hmm. So as I spoke about before, I acknowledge that those dreams that were put in my head, those thoughts, those three things that I wanted to do really didn't originate for me. They were gifts that were given to me. Yeah. So if I'm taking those and I'm absorbing those, and then I'm, I'm saying, okay, this is all, this is from a healthy place. I've got friends who've said, yeah, good. Right. Because they're the true friends will say, that's a horrible idea or that's not really healthy eddie right like that's totally feeding your ego you don't need to be doing that and i've had friends say that about other things right like eddie that's a little off right you need those friends and you need those families to speak truth into your life right mm -hmm. um but what happens was um when those are really honed and ready then I can either do one of two things. I can be really impatient and I can try to push things mm -hmm. to make those things happen. And there's some, there's some validity of doing, of being impatient with actions, but being patient with outcome, Ooh, right? You got to say that again. That was so, good. yeah. So in growing a business, growing an, an organization, and even in your own personal, my own personal growth, I found that we have to be impatient, uh, impatient with decisions and actions, like just have a bias right. towards action, Yes, but be patient with outcomes. Come on. Right. Um, the, the analogy that I like to use is uh, one of bamboo, right? So my parents are from the Philippines, immigrated over here in, in 69. Uh, but in the Philippines, there's bamboo all over the place, huge, like super thick, huge, tall bamboo uh, plants. Well, if you look at the growth cycle of bamboo, for probably the first two or three years, it's all underground. And you don't see anything but a little sort of little sprig, right? And it doesn't seem like it's growing a lot for two or three years. And then all of a sudden, it grows like six inches a day, sometimes like it is, you can actually watch certain varietals of bamboo grow. It just, it's not even you don't have to do a time lapse, you can literally watch it grow. It's slow, but it grows all, all the time. Yeah. So it's bamboo is like a five year overnight success, right? You don't see it for two or three years. And all of a sudden it's 90 feet tall. Yeah. It's the same thing with a lot with our own personal lives, but then in, in the businesses that we're running mm -hmm. is you don't see a lot of progress for years and years and years, but you just keep plugging away. You yeah. keep taking one step forward. Okay. You keep being, you know, impatient with the actions, but then overnight, three years later, four years later, it blossoms. And it's, you know, it, it, you're, it's because you were patient with the results. So that's, 
the bamboo analogy, I try to use that a lot in my own mind when I get discouraged, when I'm in the grind, just saying, all right, this is, this is a three to five year overnight success. And I just have to be patient uh, with, uh, with the outcomes. That's so good. And I know it's a little bit older research now, but Angela Duckworth's research on, you know, the one ingredient that makes people the most successful, whether it's the arts or celebrities or business or math, you know, whatever your industry, uh, she said, it's the combination of passion plus purpose over a long, long, long term. Long period of time. And yeah. so it's the person that's practicing when everybody else has gone home and that's still working at it and honing the skill and the craft long before you ever see fruit and harvest of that. And if you know somebody, if you were meeting with somebody and they are in that kind of hidden season that they're like, I don't see anything good coming from this one. How do I know I'm in the right track? Should mm-hmm. I change jobs? Should I pivot? You know, right. there's that's a legitimate, honest question. Is there no growth? Is there a literal glass ceiling over my head? Or yeah. is this something I should continue to invest in and trust the process that the bamboo will come above ground? What is something that might be a good litmus test for people who need to know, like, should I stay where I'm at, keep planting, or should I be open to other opportunities? One is, I think it's a lot of people spend uh, quite a bit of time and quite a bit of resources projecting out what their business or what their what their sales goals, right? Or what their bonus goals or their commission goals are going to be for the next year or the two years or three years. Maybe they're planning out their career that way, right? Mm-hmm. Very few people take that same approach to their own personal life, mm-hmm. right? So uh, at the beginning of the year, uh, do people know, and this is a perfect time, at the beginning of the year, question yourself, what do I want to look like at the end of the year? Mm-hmm. What do I want to have, you know, uh, accomplished at the end of the year? Or who do I want? Like, how, how much better do I want to know myself at the end of the year? What questions can I answer at the end of the year that I can't answer about myself now? Good. Right? That, that if, if they project that out over two or three years, and they don't like what they see, then it's probably a good sign. Like, ah, I don't know if this is the right track for me, mm-hmm. right? Am I, am I going to be totally satisfied if, if I'm in the same industry three years from now, mm-hmm. right? Or do, do I want to look totally different? Do I want to have a different vocation? Or do I want something, is this still going to energize me three years from now? Mm-hmm. Some people can say that with confidence and a lot of people can't, right? Um, and so I think that's probably the first litmus test is just taking some time at the beginning of the year and saying, Hey, um, does, does three years, does doing this three years from now really energize me? And if the answer is no, Mm -hmm. then that starts the process of, okay, so what would energize me? Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think the second thing is, uh, is I I try to do this every day. I try to be 1% better than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's all I'm trying to be. I'm not looking at anyone else. I'm not comparing myself to anyone else because that's a losing proposition, right? All I can do is compare myself Mm -hmm. today to who I was yesterday. And sometimes I'll have step back. Like I'll look at the day. I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely not 1% better than I was yesterday. I'm probably 5% worse than I was yesterday. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Okay. (laughs) Can I be 1% 1 better the next day and 1% better the next day? So there's this... There's this idea of self-competition 
that I've that I and, and I'm a I'm an Enneagram three, so I'm a total achiever, right? Okay. But even even with folks who are not necessarily like uh, super achiever based like me, uh, there is the concept of like, hey, can I get healthier one one percent more than I was yesterday? Mm-hmm. Those small incremental changes add up over time. Yeah. Uh, they add up in investing. And they add up in, you know, in financial investing, and they add up in personal investing. Uh, And, you know, and then the third thing I would say is, apart from winning, losing, getting better, getting worse, you have to ground yourself in an identity that is outside of gain or loss. Mm -hmm. And that identity for me is knowing that I am loved by the God of the universe. Yes. Full stop. So good no matter what I do, no matter what I become, no matter how big I succeed or how much I fail, no matter if my business ventures work, no matter if I'm, I'm a, a nobody in the, in the social scene, um, you know, no matter if, if my wife is mad at me or if she is super happy with me today yeah. or my kids, right, or whatever, yeah. I know that I am loved by the creator of the universe mm-hmm. and that's all I need that's good enough. Yes. It's really hard for me to say as an Enneagram three and an achiever, (laughs) but I, the more I can remind myself of that, the more it puts those first two things that I mentioned really at ease. Because if I know that I'm loved and I'm doing my review and I project out over three years that this is not really going to energize me, well, then I can still relax and make those changes right? And I, and I don't have to be so impatient with making those changes because there's a security that I already have, yeah. right? That's, that, that's not whether I make those changes or not or is not part of my identity. So good. And then on the 1% better every day, I can, I can show myself grace. If I look back, I'm like, gosh, I was 5% worse. Okay, well, I'm loved. And that's all right. Yeah. And I'll just try again tomorrow. And it's all right. Mm-hmm. So both of those long-term as well as those short-term little actions uh, are all undergirded by this fact that I am loved. I have a lot of friends who, and you know, uh, uh, other folks that have been in, on interviews like, hey, if there's one thing you could tell a CEO, what would it be? And it would be this, you are loved. Mm-hmm. Nothing in the world no matter how high you go or how low you go, yeah. it's going to change the fact that you are loved. The question is, do you know it? Yes, exactly. And do you accept it? Exactly. I love it. So in psychology, I mean, there's just so many things my brain is thinking through, but one being the holding environments that when they would do studies and they would place a child with their mom in like a, like an infant, let's say, or a toddler, and they would put a fence around them in a field. And as long as that frame and that structure is there, then I'm risky, I'm dangerous, I'm exploring. The kid is looking through the fence, looking back, mom, you still there? Okay. You know, as long as I feel loved, I have my secure identity, everything is 
is anchored internally, then I'm super wild and risky and adventurous and exploratory. I'm able to innovate and not just play safe. But when that frame is removed, now the toddler's more likely to cling and be needy and insecure and focused on that mm -hmm. base need versus able to like trust and explore and live this wild, passionate life. Because I think a lot of people have depression in our culture, some of which is actually due to being understimulated, being mm. underutilized in your key strengths. And, you know, that life passion comes from yeah. work and doing things and living for something bigger than myself, having an assignment and purpose. And if we don't have that, because we're always looking for the security and now most of us as an adult, I don't think security love, I think security finances. Mm -hmm. And I have my paycheck, I have my health insurance, I have my 401k, so I'm secure. But really the deeper need, and I think you're speaking volumes that in our culture, we're looking for something external to give us that confidence, that security to anchor us. But really it's knowing that I am loved, I am worthy, I am valuable, inherently apart from right. my performance and now that's creating a freck uh, a structure or a frame around us that then enables us to be wild and risky and go for it and explore and then that in itself is rejuvenating and refreshing and the stakes aren't as big if it's like i'm already loved then if i fail at this then i can pivot and try again i yeah. love how many entrepreneurs have failed in business and they get back up and they're wildly successful in the next one yeah absolutely um, that is, you know, I think that is so, so true about, uh, about entrepreneurs, the, the really, really serial entrepreneurs, just, it's not an arrogance, it's a confidence mm -hmm. that they have, uh, and a, an assurance that they have, like, I may fail at this, I may be successful at this, but I'll just do it all over again. Yeah. Right. And most of them do like mm -hmm. most of them are super successful and they just can't stop. Cause they're yeah. like, well, it's right. Um, because they have that confidence. Now, you know, there, there's some, there's some drawbacks to that, right? They, they try to find their worth in how successful they were. And it's like, you know, it's, it's a lot like these athletes and you, you talk to a lot of these really, really high profile, successful athletes and they win a ring. And the very next day they're like, okay, I guess mm -hmm. I'm, I got to go win it again. Right. Yeah. Cause they, they find their worth and they find their, that energy in like, winning, winning, winning. And then 20 years down the road, they're like, okay, have a, I have a bunch of rings. Okay. Well, now what? Right. Um, and so I think it, it does go back to the really healthy entrepreneurs are the ones that are based that have a basis in something other than winning rings. Mm -hmm. uh, and it allows them, like you said, the freedom to, to go out and take risks uh, because they know win, lose or draw. There's something much deeper there that is satisfying them. It's so good. That's yeah. so good. Okay. So to recap, you're saying we want to articulate what is that bigger vision, that thing that I'm moving toward, even if I don't know necessarily how to flesh it out, yeah. but I can at least articulate, this is what I am passionate. This is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. And it's totally okay. Like in your journey of, Hey, I went from psychology to the white house. I went over here to entrepreneurialism. And now I'm a CEO of a really amazing way that I'm redeeming culture 
and creating profit and sustainability uh, for the environment as well as for people and for brains and tummies and all the things for the next generation. Um, so it's okay that we have lots of pivots and to be very impatient with the decision saying, yes, action, uh, we got to get over that analysis paralysis of thinking too much, but also patient with the, uh, the process and the outcomes. And then it sounds like you also created teams around you organically with family and friends and also strategically with coaches and mastermind groups almost where you're now kind of fielding those thoughts, those questions, fleshing it out, narrowing it down to the bones, um, and then now making action steps based on that. So yeah. let's say somebody has done a lot of that for work. And now like, how do we step in? Let's say uh, maybe I have a job, I'm secure, but I'm entrepreneurial and I'm starting to have a vision to start something else, but it's really hard to leave the comfort of the paycheck and the security and health insurance. What would you say is something that can help in that transition? I think practically uh, folks who build up, probably I would say if you start a side gig, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of folks start, uh, they have a good stable job and there's nothing wrong with that. Believe yeah. me. <laughs> after, after a dozen years of entrepreneurialism, I, I love, I love the idea of a steady paycheck sometimes, uh -huh. uh, but, uh, taking that and in your nights and your weekends, if you're really passionate about it, building that up. Yes. And if that becomes, I would say the mark is around the 40% mark. If you can get to 40% of your net income mm -hmm. off of that side gig, I think you probably have to take a really hard look at, hey, do I wanna jump off? Do I have enough savings to jump off to make it to 60%, 80%, 100%, and then onwards and upwards. Yeah. I think uh, I've seen a lot of really successful entrepreneurs, first time entrepreneurs do the side gig deal. And at some point, at either the 40 or 50%, it's a risk, right? Mm -hmm. It's a risk to jump off. Yep. But at 40 to 50% of income, they're like, yeah, I, I can do this. And I know I have a plan of action to grow that from 50% of my income up over time over the next two years to 100 to replacing my income right now. And then the rest is right. The rest is is uh, an upward trend that you never would have been able to do uh, with both financial as well as yeah. like uh, satisfaction, yeah. internal satisfaction yeah. in your current job. That that's how I see it. That's so good. That's so good. Okay. So last question. So you're a man, you're a man's man, married, achiever, leader, entrepreneur. What was your journey? Um, and I know it's like a long answer, but just kind of paring down the best you can. Yeah. What was your journey of discovering, like, not just that I'm loved, but I'm like, I feel, and I know, and I live the best that I can from being loved. What's that like for you as a man in the entrepreneurial space of knowing you're loved? Hmm. I think a lot of it came from my community. Like I've been very fortunate and very, I say fortunate. I've also been very, very purposeful about yeah. building uh, friendships over time. So um, those friendships have really allowed, uh, and, and they're true friendships who call me out when I'm just being brash and arrogant. And yeah. They're friendships that are encouraging me and recognizing them like, man, Eddie, that was a really big win. I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> developing those friendships over time have, have allowed me to uh, take those risks, but then also at the same time have allowed me to understand 
how much I'm loved, uh, you know, despite my wins and losses, right? Uh, despite of, of who, who I've, you know, what I've achieved uh, in, in the industry or in my professional career. So I think, I think that that's super huge. And then also like just good, uh, healthy uh, communication, uh, honest communication and um, transparency with, uh, with my wife and my kids uh, have really helped me ground, you know, keep me grounded as well. Cause my kids don't care a lick about what I do in business. Yeah. They just want to know, Hey, are you going to be home at six? <laughs> right. Are you on your phone? Are you paying attention to me? Come on. Um, you know, are you, you know, what, what are we doing this weekend? Mm -hmm. Right. If you're traveling, are you thinking of me? Or are you just off wherever? Uh, you know, when are you coming home? Like all those things really, do you love me? Right. Do you care about me? Um, and, and when they ask you that in no uncertain terms, like, you know, all the other stuff just doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. So that's how I, I think how I've been able to process loving and being loved is just to keep a really good uh, set of family and friends around me. Mm -hmm. And for guys, it is really, really difficult to have deep, deep friendships without being super intentional. Mm -hmm. Like I mean, in intentional even if it's only with two or three guys yeah. not just intentional about time together because guys can get together all the time and play golf or hunt or whatever and not talk about anything of substance right. uh, I think it's intentional about saying hey I'm struggling with this I'm thinking through this I'm you know I'm just uh, you know I'm, I'm going back and forth with this thing can, can you just help think with me through that yeah uh, I think that's really important, especially for guys uh, who naturally shy away from that, uh, to be intentional about developing those relationships. So good. So good. Thank you. Um, I could pick your brain forever, but I know that as a CEO, you've probably got other meetings today, but thank you so much for being our guest and for our audience. Is there just one last takeaway that if somebody is listening, they're feeling inspired that you would just say, Hey, here's an action step that you can be focusing on as you're in that patient season. Be 1% better than you were yesterday. Hmm. Spiritually, personally, work-wise, yeah. just be 1% better. Find a, find a way to be 1% better yeah. than you were yesterday. And, uh, and if you, and if you fail, that's all right. You got tomorrow. Yes. You got a chance, the opportunity to be 1% better tomorrow. That's so good. And I love how even uh, the Bible says uh, that your gifts will make room for you. So mm -hmm. if you are focused on yourself, that self-competition of one day getting better after another, the best that we can, a little yeah. margin for error for all of us. Totally. Um, but that if you're honing yourself, then your gifts will make room for you. And there will be a table with a seat with your name on it. So I'm cheering you on guys. Welcome to the channel. If you're new and for our existing community, we love you. We are here to invest in you personally, relationally, spiritually, and vocationally, because there is a call in your life. There is purpose in you. And we want to peel back those self-defeating beliefs, mindsets, habits, so that you can march with confidence into that great assignment. We love you guys and we'll see you for the next episode. Bye.